Tides of the League scenes look at grand final day, a day which saw the Panthers repeat for the first time since the 81, 82, 83 Eels. We're going to recap everything from grand final day, which also included a double sweep in the NRLW for the Newcastle Knights, repeating as champions and South Sydney claiming their first state challenge in history after their 40-year drought in the New South Wales Cup came to an end last start against the Brisbane Tigers. I'm AJ Luke Antonio, contributor with League Unlimited and Stats Perform. Joining me, the man with the news, two SMs, Reese Sullivan. G'day, Reese. Ah, oh, g'day, AJ. How we doing? Uh, second doing? week, second, second week for you without footy. So, oh, yeah. uh, how, how did uh, before we get started? How did it feel to be watching the games as a neutral, like as a pure neutral? I still had a bit of a stake in the game. I was, of course, statistician, status quo. Um. Yeah, it felt really good just to sit back, not have anything riding on the match. Of course, I wanted Brisbane to win, but it felt good just to sit back, relax, and enjoy the footy knowing I didn't have an emotional stake in the game. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. I thought, you know, as a neutral, it must have been a pretty good game of footy to watch. But obviously, uh, being a Broncos fan, my views on it probably tilted a little bit from the centre. So... (laughs) Fair enough, my friend. Fair enough. Um, we're just going to get the pain and suffering over straight away, for your sake. Uh, Penrith 26, Brisbane 24. The Broncos, I thought, started really strong. They held on defensively. I thought Penrith were winning a little bit of that yardage game. And then Sneaky Billy with a 40-20. How about that to start? Yeah, exactly. Uh, obviously, Penrith kicking off first. Usually, when they do that, they're always going to get a little bit of a field position advantage first. Um, but, like, yeah, I thought Brisbane really sort of took those early punches, gave off a bit of their own, and then Billy putting that 40-20 in really gave us a massive leg up at that early stages. Um, but ultimately, you know, from that, Broncos tried to fire an early shot across the bow and didn't work with Jesse Arthur's going into touch. Yeah, that was a bit of a disappointment. But from there... The Broncos really struggled to hold on to the footy in the opening stages. A lot of errors in the opening quarter hour, and it culminated in Reese Walsh doing the old sideways Olympics, mate. He was inspired by the champion on the other side of the field in this domain, and it ended up being quite a costly sideways manoeuvre, didn't it? Yeah, it felt like I think it was probably a double-edged sword. I think even if he goes head down, probably still very good chance he gets dragged into the end goal line. So I think he tried to do whatever he could to find a gap and it didn't work. But uh, yeah, just Penrith really, all game, they had a really great kick chase, held the line well, really didn't let the Broncos get too many easy meters off the kick returns. And obviously the fact that they forced four dropouts was a prime example of that. I'll touch on the dropout situation in a moment, but there's one man of that back five that deserves a really big rap. A lot of criticism of him. I thought when it was announced that this particular individual was going to be starting, but I think Jesse Arthurs deserves a massive apology from a lot of people. 110% he does. He, well, all season, he's been more consistent than Oates. I, I mean, I brought up Oates hasn't scored this season. Arthurs has scored multiple tries, obviously. Um, yeah, he was just extremely consistent with his carriage out of pressure, um, just being, you know, Really, really solid for us. Um, 
but ultimately, you know, I think we did miss a bit of punch on the wing. Yeah, but we'll go to the dropout now. Um, well worked, I thought, but someone missed their assignment, didn't they? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, Herbie probably wasn't expecting it to be as wide open as it was. And I think a couple of the players saw it open up and thought he's just going to catch it. And um, ultimately, there was a bit of miscommunication and Mitch Kenny was in prime position to just pounce and pick up that ball, score probably what will be the easiest try of his career and get the grand final roll into the Panthers. Yeah, Mitch Kenny, hey? Fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) But it wasn't all happy for the MKFC. He made a mistake. Uh, in the next set, and the Broncos did roll upfield. You had Arthurs make that long break, but then a bit of a turning point. You had some second phase play. Walsh, sorry, not Walsh. Walsh made the mistake, but Adam Reynolds got twisted a bit awkwardly in a bit of contact with Scott Sorensen, and I thought that was going to be a killer blow, but you hung in the contest. I thought your forwards really lifted. Uh, we'll get to Penrose forwards in a moment, but I just felt that for a long period in the game, you hung with them, and it wasn't until the end that they got a bit fatigued and it went against them. Yeah, but the problem was we pushed so much energy into that hanging with the Panthers. You know, they just had so much of the ball, forced us to make so many tackles. Eventually, it burned us. Um, but, you know, when they had to lift, they lifted. It was just that, you know, it hurt them in the back stretch. You know, you have to wonder, would it have been more beneficial to concede, you know, a couple of tries in that first period of the game, but then still have that energy in the back half of the second half instead of obviously what ended up happening where, you know, they only scored off that drop out in the first half, but then second half, last 20 minutes, they just had their pick of, you know, where the line would where the line would break. Yeah, uh, but got out to 8-0 because Reynolds was completing the... um. Goal lines, dropout, uh, quantum electric boogaloo. Uh, one that led to a try. One that failed to go over 10. It went out on the full. Long out on the full. And one that tried to go semi-short and it didn't pay off. The only thing he didn't click off the uh, dropout bingo card was one that actually paid off. Yeah, exactly. It, the second half dropouts were tough because he had that wind blowing into his face. But the two first half ones were absolutely shocking. Obviously, the first one, not really his fault because he placed it really perfectly on Herbie's head. Mm-hmm. But the second one was a shocker. Yeah, it went almost back to the try line. But he made some tactical decisions. Tyson Smoothie came into the game. I thought that was a very vital decision. And you got that penalty, your first penalty of the game. And we'll touch on Adam G's performance later because he deserves a lot of plaudits, in our opinion. But Tommy Flegler got them back into the game with a beautiful try. Yeah, it was just really well worked, the whole set. He had a couple of, um, I think there was a hit up on third and fourth, and all of a sudden the Panthers were thinking fifth, they're going to go wide. And then Smoothie just turns it back inside to Flegler, who's able to get one-on-one, put the head down, put the ball just over the line. Maybe short, but we couldn't see a camera angle that said which one it was. Um, and, yeah, all of a sudden it goes from being 8-0 at halftime to 8-6, and it's just massive psychological advantage for the Broncos. Yeah, 100%. And you could see that the, that try on halftime really took some momentum because 
Ezra Mam decided to come into his own, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. He stepped out of the second half just, you know, like a bull in the gate, really exposing that Panthers um, right edge, which we've seen a couple of times this season, especially last week with Tongo going into that right centre, switching with Crichton. They haven't exactly been the most rock-solid team down that side. Yeah, but I will say the pace on Ezra, just he absolutely burnt Dylan Edwards. 35.6 kilometers an hour he clocked, which is his fastest of the season. I think it's joint fastest with Herbie Farnworth for the Broncos this year. And Edwards so, isn't a slouch. Yeah, exactly. Just he has some wheels to get, and he's do, don't forget he's doing all this with a knee injury too. There's a reason why it's Dally M58 of the year, let me tell you. But again, you guys made some changes. You saw the tide start to turn. So Leota came into the game for Penrith, and you counted with Haas and Heverington. But Jerome Luai came off with half an hour to go for Jack Cogger. And that seemed to be a vital change for Penrith. Just a little bit of an older head, a bit more calming the nerves, and it allowed Cleary to play his normal game. Before we get to that, Ezra Mam had some more scores to sell. He absolutely split them again for that second try. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, sneaky little stuff that he always has in his arsenal. I think it's very underrated from him. And, yeah, just scored up that one. But I'll, I'll touch on it quickly, um, the rotations, because he touched on bringing on um, Haas for Leota. I feel like that was the wrong decision. I think Haas should have had a bit more rest. I think ultimately one of the big advantages Henry had was their forwards were able to be much fresher than ours. We, you know, Haas obviously played his customary 70 minutes. Carrigan played 70 minutes. I think Flegler was up over 40. 48. Um, 48 minutes, yeah. Palacia had a fair few minutes in him as well. 38. Yeah. Just that ability for the Panthers to just stay fresh back half of the game, having all their forwards pretty much bang on that 40-minute mark. I think Lenny only played like 22. So I think uh, Victor Harris played a little bit more. If I'm not mistaken, I'll just check um, now, mate. Uh, so Lenu was 22 minutes. Fish yeah. was 58. Leota 47. Lindsay Smith 46. Yeah. Garner so, 21. Yeah, exactly. So Garner was able to come in and sort of play that hybrid forward back row role, and he did a really solid job at that, to be honest. Um, but because they took when Sorensen came, I'm sorry to cut in, but. When they when Sorensen came back on, they actually took Tago off. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, so I think Haas should have had a bit more of a rest just so he'd be that little bit fresher. I think that was one of the big things that killed us in the end, just how forwards played pretty much all game, had only a few minutes rest, just didn't have the legs to go through at the end. Um, and that's, I guess, the risk you take with our rotational season only carrying that one true prop and having Hetherington play that sort of hybrid role. You know, it's, but it's been an advantage for us pretty much all season. Uh, but in this game, it was probably a disadvantage. Yeah. So after that Mam second try, they went straight at it again. Walsh broke through, linked up with Mam. And at 24-0, I just want to get your opinion here. How did you feel at 24-0? Look, I didn't think the game was over, but I thought the game was pretty much over. Like, you know, 
I didn't think you looked at the body language of the Panthers after that try. I didn't think they had it in them to come back. You know, I thought it would have taken a Herculean effort from, you know, especially Nathan Cleary to get them out of this hole. And guess what they got? A Herculean effort from Nathan Cleary. Yeah, they did. But I just want to get your thoughts on some subs. In this situation where you're going toe-to-toe with a side that has forwards in them, do you think carrying Piakura was the right, the right move? No. No. Uh, especially with how he was used. I think at the end of the day, if Kevy had to put him in earlier, I think it might have been the right move. But, you know, you're putting him on the last 20 minutes when the tide's turning. He's not going to be a guy who comes in, switches it back, I think. In that situation, probably carrying a CJ, maybe not a Tapu, but maybe, maybe, but you know, just that extra prop. Like I said, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but it would have been so beneficial for the Broncos. Yeah, and then Cleary, as he always does, just took advantage of the moments, and there's always going to be that moment where Penrith clicked. We saw it in twenty twenty; it was a little bit too late. This time, though. It was fucking perfect from Cleary. Straight through some pretty poor edge defense. I thought was it I think it was Leota and Farnworth on that left hand side. Cause they switched Katoni and Herbie, didn't they? Uh yeah, it was Capewell and Herbie. Yeah, yeah. so Capewell um missed the tackle. Herbie stuck too wide and just let Cleary stroll through the line. And then Leota, who was running the decoy for him was able to back up on the inside and grab himself an easy four-pointer. That got it to two possessions, and then Cleary, the master he is, 40-20. Tide's gone at this point. And even though you're able to hang on a little bit, Carrigan comes up with a big error. Penrith sweep right. Crichton gets it to a four-point game. At this point, now it was 24-20. Squeaky bum time, as we like to call it in the industry. How'd you feel? I looked at it, and I was like, you know, there was still... 10 minutes left, five sets to defend. I really didn't think we were going to do it. Like, at that point, you know, you're going up against the best team in the NRL. You've got five sets to defend the team that's so much fresher than you with the halfback who's playing in the game of his life. I didn't think we were going to be able to win it. Yeah, so, yo, Sorensen, come back in. You're able to get a line break, a clean break with Walsh, but... You just weren't able to capitalise in that end. Penrith marched downfield. Reynolds tries the cheeky line dropout. That was nearly perfect from Reynolds, but Cleary's just got the game smarts, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. Just, I think it's it's funny because he pulled it out week one against the Storm and caught Melbourne off guard with that. I think if he hadn't used it against the Storm and he really debuted it in this one, it probably would have worked. Um, but, yeah, just Cleary, inch perfect with getting his foot over the line. And then from there, you're going to hang on a little bit. Herbie conceded a six again. You had to do another dropout. And then Cleary, I mean, I want to touch on the defence on this play here. What were your thoughts on the defence? And how did it go so wrong? Well, the first thing is we stack the um, open side too much. If you watch Walsh um, 
came out on the open side to stop the uh, dive from Kenny. And then Carrigan also shifted open to stop the pass. So that left our short side very much, you know, at a disadvantage. And then obviously Cleary gets the ball. You know, best way to stop Cleary from working his magic is to come out and beat him. And obviously, with our tired legs, it was always going to place him at an advantage. Uh, and yeah, a bit of a poor miss from Adam Reynolds. And then just no one able to come across in time to put a hit on them. And then you had some chance at the end that just didn't pay off in Penrith. Lifted the shield for the first time for the third time in as many years, winning the free peak Cleary Clive Churchill. But I'm just going to say, SBW was instrumental in bringing the Roosters back from an 18-8 deficit. But no, they gave the Clive to DCE. You can tell I'm bitter about that still, can't you? Yeah, definitely. Like, seriously, like that piss it. I've seen three grand finals, sorry, four grand finals, three winning, one loss. Two out of the three wins, the Clive Church was going to the opposition team. Explain. Oh, I think it was a simple explanation. You don't need me as that. The judges are shit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but let's just go through some Herculean efforts. We set off program. Edwards, 306 metres, despite that awful uh, misread uh, on, on the Ezra Mam try. He was really good. Uh, back five worked so hard, but these forwards, man. Leota Fisher-Harris, that is the premier front row combination in the comp. It cannot be defended. It cannot be argued anymore. What these two bring to a side... Is unmatched. I'm not going to say in the NRL era, but over the last, say, four years, nothing has come even close. Yeah, it's just the perfect one to punch. The consistent prop that, you know, always going to be able to take those carries and play the long minutes. And then just the little dynamo prop that's going to just, you know, scatter defences. It's, yeah. it's a recipe. Recipe for a great combination. Then you throw in Lindsay Smith, unsung hero. He has been a fine for Penrith next year. And they're going to miss Spencer Lenu next year. But I'm not too sure if we covered this on the program, but they've got a forward by the name of Liam Henry, who we've mentioned in our lower grade report a couple of times this year. Hmm. I'll just bring up his New South Wales Cup numbers because... He was in the team of the year for the New South Wales Cup. And I just want to run some numbers by, if you'll let me. Yeah, of course. Uh, averaging 156 metres a game. That included a 280 metre effort against Canberra earlier this year. Just one game sub 100 metres all year. Uh, 96% tackle efficiency, three offloads, 46 tackle breaks, six tries. Yeah, you think he goes straight into that bench role by Lenny, don't you? I would assume so. I would really assume so. And I don't think he's played too much, and I don't think he might have played only a handful of games. And he has re-signed for a further three years, so 
that is a real blessing in disguise for the Panthers that they were able to get that deal done before the cup season commenced and considering the form he's been in. Um, but I just think that the day will come where Penrith's dynasty ends, but for now, they're on cloud nine and they friggin' deserve it. Like, I'm proud of them, like, because they managed to get through a grand final day celebration without doing anything too much. I mean, Jamin Salmon showed off his weak gutted dog to the public, but apart from that... Yeah, exactly. But you have you have to wonder, you know, how much does the loss of Crichton hurt him? Because he touched on, but he touched on unsung heroes. You know, this is a guy who scored in each of their grand finals. He's been such a glue guy when it comes to working between the halves and the wings. You know, I think. I think it probably hurts them more than you think, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at what's happened on the other side. I mean, Tango, he just has not had the same impact that, you know, obviously not the same impact that Crichton's had, but, you know, it feels like it's not... You don't look at Tango and go, he's... Uh, elite centre, and you can see the difference between what Tango provides and what Crichton provides. I'm going to counter that, if you don't mind. Like the impact we've seen from Tango at times this year, I think has been good, but the consistency, I think, is the point you're alluding to. Yeah, we just—he hasn't been on the field at all this year. He's been riddled by injuries, but I think Taylor May comes back into this side next year. You throw Trevuva in at centre; he's a bit of a ball player as well with what we've seen out of the fullback position in Fiji and in the New South Wales Cup in the past. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, the age factor starts sort of rearing its head at this point too. Because four years playing, you know, obviously I know it was a shortened season in 2020, but they basically played 27 games a year for the last four years. You throw in internationals, you throw in origins. It does wear the body down. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, eventually, they're going to have to deal with injuries, and it's not just going to be that you know six weeks out for Nathan Cleary, the three weeks that Jerome Luai missed. Obviously, I'm not going to wish for injuries for any player. Like, mm-hmm. That's way below me. But I think Penrith, you know, I would definitely celebrate this one if I were the Panthers. Because, you know, first of all, three-peat, obviously, massively historic. I don't think, you know, it's been 40 years since the last club done, done it. I think very real chance no one else does it in our lifetimes. But, yeah. you know, I also have to question how many more do they have left? What What's left in the tank now for the Panthers? Because this game alone took so much out of them. You heard Nathan Cleary say it. You heard Isaiah Yo say it after the game. You know, it's just obviously you, got, you just don't sit there and be in awe of what the Panthers have achieved first and foremost yeah 100% my friend but there's just one thing that this Panthers team needs to tick off the list what's that a world club challenge true <laughs> well the good news is if um, 
the ladder for the Super League that needs him to go. But they won't have to deal with St. Helens this year. Uh, apologies to apologies to Haley and Johnny Lou for having to say that. Get um, to the show, Johnny Lou. <laughs> but yes, um, yeah. So obviously they'll go in next year into the World Cup Challenge. But hopefully they take it back to England. Um, yeah. Well, we'll have to wait and see who they're up against. We will indeed. Of course, Super League finals are going at the moment. But on the Broncos, again, I touched on Arthur's. Walsh was okay. A bit overwrought at times, I thought. Um, Herbie, great out of yardage. Payne Haas. I just want to touch on this point. 41 made tackles and the only Bronco not to miss one. This dude is superhuman. Defense isn't even his strongest point. I remember, remember the Blues had to pick a defensive prop because they couldn't trust Payne Haas in defense. Yep. Exactly. Like, you know, but he's just, you know, not enough words in the dictionary to describe how important Payne Haas is for the Broncos. And I'm just so, so, so thankful we managed to lock him in until 2026. Said a yeah. million times before, but, you know, I watch him in Origin, you know, obviously being a Maroons fan, I watch him play for the Blues in Origin. I can't figure out how you guys gear up for a match against the Broncos knowing that Payne Haas is on the other team. <laughs> um, I just want to touch on some bench figures quickly. Um, outside of Palacia, Piakura and Heverington combined for six runs for 39 metres each. That's combined for both of them. Six runs for 39 metres. That is utter dross. Yeah. I think Toby was stolen on defence. Obviously, he had that great tackle on the other to save the try. He, that took it out of him. Yeah, that's, I think it's probably concussed him a little bit. Um, but, yeah, like I said with Piakura, just wasn't the right team for him. Um, yeah, if, if that game had been against a team like the Storm, like the Warriors, 100% you put Piakura on the bench because he can break that game open. But again, I want to say something, if you yeah, don't mind. Ahead. Be yeah, a bit controversial here. I would have started Piakura and had Capewell come in and even start Capewell and then play Ricky off the bench in an impact role. Piakura is nowhere good enough defensively to start the back row. Uh, that's fair. I just wanted to get your take on it. All yeah, good. that's all good. Uh, um, and again, again I've, yeah, I've already touched on with a couple of Broncos fans you know, looking at next year. There's a lot of debates going on as to whether we should put Piakura starting in the back row next season or whether just stick with Capewell. I've said he needs to go into this preseason. He needs to improve his defense. Because if he yeah. doesn't, there's no way he starts. Fair enough. All good. Um, I think that there just needs to be a forward in this side that takes a leap. And I look at South Slogan. I look at Takura. I look at Bayless Brow. I look at Fletcher Baker coming in next year. One of those three needs to make a leap. And it needs to be a sizable one to say to Kevy. I'm the next one up. Pick me, pick me, pick me. Because at the moment, as much as what you've said about Palisade this year might be true, that's 150 metres every week gone. Yeah. All right. I, I will say, obviously, you know, we do have some experience. Prop. We obviously have Jensen and Tapu who didn't play in the grand final. Mm-hmm. And I will also remind you, we do also have Xavier Williton, who had a really 
good little run when he when we picked him. Uh, that's and, I, I was forgetting one. Shit. Yeah, and I think Willison will probably be that first, the first guy to get a crack. I think there will be a bench spot up for grabs between Jensen, between Papau, between Fletcher Baker, between Tegura. I think right now, based on what we've seen this season, I'd put Fletcher Baker in that jersey. Uh, if there's a second tennis spot up for grabs, though, which I don't know if there will be or not, but if there is, there's a massive chance to take Jura to take his plan. But this is a kid who obviously the Broncos have massive wraps on. Probably a bit unlucky to miss out on making his debut in that match against the Storm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would 100% be looking at him as someone who maybe maybe just has a season similar to Willis where he only plays a handful of games. Um, but definitely someone who, with a strong preseason, I can see him getting his crack. Yeah, 100%. My friend, nothing to be disheartened about for Brisbane. Heartbreaking that there's a lot of good here for the next few seasons. My friend, are we ready to move on? Yeah, I hope I, I hope so. <laughs> you need to get the taste of us out of your mouth. <laughs> uh, but we're going to move on to the NRLW game. Uh, Newcastle 24, Titans 18. The Knights going back-to-back as well in this one. But I want to touch on one stature. Just to kick things off, the Titans had to make 51 extra tackles to their opposition. They only missed 16 tackles all game. Yeah. Newcastle missed 45. It was genuinely one of the best defensive performances in an NRLW game. I thought... The Titans really just, you know, funk it down, did everything they could to let the storm. They almost got run away with it too. Like they almost did the ultimate smash and grab. Yeah, I want to give, uh, but the Titans started really well. Jamie Chapman crossed for a hat trick, her first coming in the 13th minute. That She was unstoppable for the Titans. They got out to an 8 0 lead early, but. Uh, the Knights, they worked their way back in the game. Yasmin Strange crossed, but we need to talk about Casey Badger. Yes, we do. Because that unsuccessful challenge is the biggest load of bullshit I have ever seen. What, what, what more would you expect, though? Seriously. I know, but we sit here every week. We play this Wheel of Fortune style game with Casey Badger in the bunker. And every week, it's a mixed result. You either get the good, you get the bad, and then you get the howlers. Yeah. This. We open the performance in the bunker, I thought. But again, that proved costly, didn't it? Yeah, 100%. I think he, you know, obviously it's hard to say it cost him the game, but certainly did it. Yeah, 100%, my friend. The Knights did take advantage of that video referee error, and they picked up two tries in the space before half time to go to a 12 8 lead. And it looked like goal kicking would be costly, didn't it? It, it, it really did. 
because it's harder than just a couple of hours. Uh, ultimately, it did actually when you really think about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just Titans not being able to convert really just kept parts in the game. Mm-hmm. 100%. My friend, but the Titans, they hit back straight after halftime. Jamie Chapman getting her second try. And then very quickly, a hat-trick to go out to an 18-12 lead. And she is proving to be one of the stars in this women's competition, Jamie Chapman. 100%. She is sensational. Right. You said it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely insane athlete. And she's got so much good going for her. And I think it's very important that the Titans lock her down. And full credit to this Titans side quickly. They hung in this game. It was 18-12. But then the superstar of NRLW herself, Tamika Upton, took the game by the scruff of the neck. The Dallium NRLW Player of the Year. She sealed it with a capital T, didn't she? Yeah, 100%. It, you run out of spellers to describe her. Like, she is just at the top of her game. And I think everyone else on the field looked at half the life. She's just that good. Had a hand in all four of the nice tribes and took the last two of them herself. Mm-hmm. Stunning, stunning. You run out of words to describe it. Like, it is just so good. It is just, it's hard to describe, isn't it? Uh, mate. Just, yeah. Mate. Like, she is genuinely one of the cops. In terms yeah. of what she does. Just how, how she can lift a team with, yeah. just, you know, simple plays. Yeah, and that grubber kick and the chase on that kick, I mean, I feel bad for Karen Murphy because she had to present the Mayor of the Match medal just after she lost the grand final. Yeah. The poor soul. Do you think she takes solace in the fact that the medal's named after her? (laughs) I think she does. I think she does, my friend. Uh, But... Just quickly, I want to touch on the other coach for a second, Roland Griffiths. Oh, uh, yeah. Just being, you know, obviously, yeah, back-to-back coaches with the guys, he's built such a dominant side. I have a genuine question, and it might be a little bit silly, it might be a little bit premature, but do you think Griffiths could become an NRL coach? It's an interesting one. Very interesting point. Like, I think what we've seen in terms of being able to take a roster from the bottom to the top, especially this year, more so than others with the expanded competition, I think it could be a stepping stone to the top. But I think he would have to go into a good system, get his bearings a little bit as an assistant before moving up to being an NRL head coach. Yeah, I agree. I think it's not going to be going straight from NRLW to NRL, but I think it's definitely their size that he could make that jump. Um, I think, like you said, what he's achieved at the night, going from 
you know, where they were before it took over to where they are now, where they might end up being in two, three years as well. Like, he built a, a dynasty, really, and it's off the back of his own work. It's off the back of, you know, him communicating with a nice recruitment board to make sure everyone was on the same page, make sure girls like Timmy Clubton and the Southwell sisters locked up for long-term deals. They have built a juggernaut in Newcastle. Yeah, 100%, my friend. But now that the expanded competition is done, what were your thoughts on it? Good, bad, indifferent? And do you think we're running a risk if we expand too quickly? It was a very, very exciting season. Obviously, the finals race came down to the final game. You know, we had two amazing semi-finals and excellent top-class grand final. Um, I think the expansion isn't really too risky at this point. I think there's a lot of NRLW, NRLW level players that are currently having to play the Harvey Norman New South Wales Premiership and then not getting a chance to get to this level. But I think at the same time, I can balance that. I know you know, Manly and the Bulldogs are set to get two teams admitted in 2024. So that'll also, be got the, um, also have the Warriors in there as well. Yes, exactly. So I assume we'll also probably get a Team 14 at some point. Um, yeah. I think the biggest losers of NRW expansion will actually be the Gillaroos in the fact that now the girls are going to have more miles on their legs before they go into test season. It depends how they structure the season, too, to be honest. Of course. course. But you have to assume it's going to continue being, you know, round robin, one game against each opponent. For now, yeah, I I tend to agree, my friend. But before we move on to the state challenge, um, as some of you know, we've been doing punching the figures on referee data this season. I just wanted to present our final findings. From this year. So we'll do NRLW first. So the referees in the NRLW are running at a 35% success rate for challenges against them, which I don't think is too bad. Smaller sample size as well. Yep. So that was 21 and a half challenges successful against, as opposed to 62 challenges made. Uh, In terms of tries... They had 20 overturns from 393. I think, ultimately, they put in an excellent shift. You have to remember, for a lot of the season, they were running, you know, as a big, brave referee in a way. Yeah, and... All things considered, they did a great job. Yeah, the two that got the highest overturns were Belinda and Casey. With five each. And that data, by the way, that's 5% of all tries overturned. Uh, season high in sim binnings, though, they had 14 sim bins, two send-offs. Actually, no, that should be 15 and two, sorry. Yeah, 15 and two. Yeah. Uh, I think ultimately everyone did a great job, uh, including Casey and Belinda, though they were obviously the two best at most areas. But end of the day, I think, you know, NLW is not going to exactly be 
yeah, the most, the best officiated competition. Yeah, we had Subo Dan giving us some quality winges throughout the season as well. But uh, on to the NRL. Uh, on challenges, we had 166 and a half over 370. Now, you're probably wondering why I put the point five in there. I counted all inconclusive challenges as half a point. Just wanted to get that clear. As far as inconclusive, we had five, six, seven, 10, 15. We had 16 inconclusive challenges this year. Sorry, 17. Yep, 17 inconclusives. Too easy. Uh, so that was, they were running at 45% efficiency of challenges being uh, successful. They had 370 total challenges. Yep, fair enough. Uh, as far as overturns, they had 96 overturned from 1,658. Okay. Guess who the king of the overturns yeah. was? No, it would be the... um. Oh, Adam G... No, 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 going into the season. Oh, no, not Klein, no. Well, then who? Chris Butler, 14 of 158. Oh, geez. Peter Goff had 10 of 205. And Adam G, who finished the year, had 12 of 210. That's probably why he finished up the grand final, eh? Yeah, Klein had 11 from 193. That's actually pretty decent numbers. On the Simbin front, we had a record year for Simbinnings, 116 and six send-offs. Actually, a... Probably less Simpinnings than you were expecting on the start of the season, to be honest. Like, obviously, it's, you know, a pretty high number, but still, given how much they were calling them the first 10 weeks of the season. Yeah, the, the number reduced quite significantly, mate. But on to the state challenge. Uh, Souths winning 42-22 over the Brisbane Tigers. We've got some comments we want to make about the general game of this and how it can be improved because we saw some things on Twitter that said the game was a total flop. South Sydney started strong. They collected two quick tries and appeared to be running the show, but Cole Guyer got a quick dart out of Dudley Half and an 8-6. We thought this game was a bit interesting, didn't we? Yep, exactly. I think, you know, we, um, you know, Tigers looked like they were sort of trying to fight back. You felt Souths would just be able to just take their claim all bit. They just had so much more experience, yeah, all across the ground. I will say that Jacob Gagai is a very lucky boy. Yes. Yes. That was an awful high shot on George Jennings. Yeah. Luckily. Oh, well. Not luckily for the um, East Tigers fans. Luckily for Gagai, um, he was able to stay on the field. Yeah, awful tackle. 
Yeah, uh, South Sydney did pick up their third try at half time with Tyrone Mundro picking up his second of three tries. And boy, oh boy, this kid's got a future. He is a talent. He is a talent. We saw a little bit of it with South in the NRL. Now we see it massively in the reserve state at the level where he's comfortable. I think if I'm South, 100% you have to put him in your side next season. Yeah, another one that could be, sorry just to cut in there, another one that could be pushing, I thought, was the Lebanese uh, interchange player, Jackson Rami. 16 carries, 182 metres. Yeah. He was solid. I agree. He was very, very strong. Yeah, so we were 12-6 at half time, and then South Sydney within about... A seven-minute period blew the game out to 30-6 to six rather quickly. And from there, even though there was a couple late tries each from both sides, Tom Carr picked up a double. Talis Duncan scored a try. Uh, Dean Tauper, Ethan O'Neill picked up tries in that quick flurry. And the Brisbane Tigers picked up two late tries. It was no contest in the second half once South Sydney first crossed the stripe. Yeah, exactly. It was going to be probably Tigers always have this advantage. Once it was over, it was over. I thought that really just ran away with it. Deserved to walk away with the state championship in the end. Yeah, apparently they gave Blake Taffman the match again. I can live with that. I'll just take you through some stat lines, just because I really disagree with it. 11 runs, 76 metres, 6 post contact, 2 line break and try assists. Dean Hawkins, 11 for 80, 3 line break assists, 2 try assists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, some other players I want to mention. Talis Duncan was good. Brock Gray. Was good through the middle. Um, Dion Tauper can be a really good player. I think he can. He's just such a raw prospect. They had a couple of kerfuffles at the kickoffs. He's just a really raw prospect. Um, for the Brisbane Tigers, Kane Bradley's a good player. We've seen it at the Cowboys. Jordan Grant through the middle just had under 200 metres. Uh, Joe Chan needs to get... I said this when we were talking last week about Melbourne. They need a big off-season from Joe Chan and Jack Howarth. They they need a bad because lawyer, the more the more I watch of Joe Chan, the more he is heads and shoulders above Trent Loyero. Yeah, but you know Craig Bellamy's loyal. He is, so, but... So he's not, yeah, so he's, he's not going to change for the sake of change. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the future of this state challenge real quick because a lot of people are saying, oh, it's a blowout. New South Wales are far superior than Queensland. Well, there's a number of things we need to point out here, and I was speaking with our amazing, loyal 
friend of the show, lower grade phenom Darcy McDonald this week about this. And we both agreed that the Queensland Cup needs to be a little bit more streamlined because what you're seeing at the moment is because all the teams in New South Wales are aligned to just one team, the teams in Queensland have to split themselves amongst, say, the Titans, for instance. They've got two or three feeder clubs. Brisbane, same boat. Cowboys, well, they only think to one, but they still have three options. And then the Storm have two or three options as well, as well as the Dolphins. So I think what needs to happen is they need to go out and be more aggressive in second-tier players. And Sunshine Coast have already got off to a good start. They've just announced the signing of Jack Campagnolo this week. And I think that it's not necessarily just the NRL players either. I think it's just the whole second-tier approach and the way we manage our second-tier competition here in New South Wales is a lot better than the way it's done in Queensland. And it may be because there's a little bit more teams, but I just think it needs to be more streamlined and the second-tier players need to have... An option. I'm going to throw this open to you. You're from Queensland. You see this happening. What do you think of what I have to say? Look, I'm on the fence here. I agree for the sake of, you know, competitive state championship, Queensland have to be better. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm against destroying the, you know, traditional aspects of Queensland Cup just for the benefits of one game. I didn't say destroy it. I said that they need to be more aggressive in their approach to recruitment of the second-tier players. Yeah, but the point of Queensland Cup has never been to build a competitive squad compared to the New South Wales Cup. It's been to build the best squads in Queensland, build them with Queensland players. And if you start being aggressive with, you know, signing players, especially interstate players, to me, a large part of that tradition gets ruined. That's fair, but I guess, do you think in that regard, I'm going to throw this supplementary question to you, do you think the removal of the Hastings Deer and Colts competition will strengthen the player talents within the Queensland Cup squads? Yes and no. Okay. I think it'll it'll make the squads deeper. Uh I also think, in reality, the best Hastings Deer and Colts players would be going straight to Queensland Cup anyway. Yeah, so I just I mean, we saw it. We saw it. We saw it with guys like Reese Walsh. We saw it with guys like Ezra Mann as well. You know, mm-hmm. those guys went straight into Queensland Cup. Yeah, I'll just read to you what Ben Iken said a month ago. He said uh, this because uh, he says, along with costs, he says our statewide clubs are best positioned to develop talent for the elite game. And we believe the best 20 and 21-year-old players in the state are capable of playing in Q Cup and the BMD Premiership. If everyone went on to say, data suggests the majority of players in this age group already have been identified, meaning they hold NRL or development contracts or are host plus Cup and BMD Premiership contract players. Uh, a number of sources have said the Colts comp is now redundant. I can live with that. I think... Um, there was obviously 
a little bit of competition between Colts and Cup as to who would be getting the better players. But at the same time, in reality, I think you can't just look at Colts and say that's going to solve all the issues. I think, you know, that, like I said, they'll be places points deeper. They'll make competition for places better, which will ultimately drive the team performance up. But I also think it's the South Wales Cup. It's not going to be that big of a change. Yeah, 100%, my friend. But I want to get back onto the grand final quickly because there is one man that deserves a lot of praise for his role in that, and that is referee Adam G. Now, a lot was made of his appointment pre-game with that ridiculous article in the Daily Telegraph. But for his first grand final and for all the talk that there was this week about a penalty fest and everything else, that is a performance to me that says that's my number one spot and that's mine for a long time. I agree. I do think there was one call he did miss though, which was the hit on Cobo uh, when, the, when the ball bounced off that Reynolds kick. Could have challenged. Could have challenged, yes. And I don't think Cobo was going to get to the ball. But still, did do a bit of a sound piece on that because that's been called penalty bit for Rocco before. Was that, the, was that the penalty that led to the short dropout? No, so that, was the, uh, no that was the no call. I think it was um, just before Reynolds got injured, maybe the attacking raid before that. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, but I just think now what we saw out of Adam G, that has to be the standard for every single game. And I get it's hard because some referees are a bit more nitpicky than others. But ultimately, that was vital in contributing to one of the greatest spectacles we've seen in the game. I agree. But at the same time, it's so jarring when you look at how the grand final was called and you compare that to every single NRL game that came before that. Like, you know, at the end of the day, there needs to be consistency with how games are called. And I think that's going to have to be something that has to be ironed out in this off-season with the referees. You have to eliminate the grey areas when it comes to the rules. Make it all set. Make it all, you know, black and white. Mhm. 100%, my friend. But uh be a big year for the NRL referees too to see what they do in that regard. But it is time for this week's prestigious Lol Cow of the Week. Wow. This week, I'm going to go to um, Channel 9 Football. I had a couple of different choices. I could have gone for the ESPN... NFL on Acid Toy Story football cast. <laughs> but I've gone for Channel 9. Why is that? For dedicating their entire halftime show to Scotty Pippen. Yeah, that's fair enough. Like, it is the biggest spectacle in the game. 
analyze the game properly. Do not move for a bloke that's wearing an MDL shirt and was the yes man for Michael Jordan to interrupt the most important halftime program of the year where you could have done some predictive and actual decent analysis. That's all I'm saying. Fair enough. What have you got to say, my friend? I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for a bit of a rant here. Uh, I'm just gonna have a bit of a dig at, you know, all the fan bases that are putting some shit on the Broncos for losing. I better be quiet. I might be guilty. Yeah. At the end of the day, your club didn't even make the grand final. Celebrating. <laughs> You're celebrating a team doing what your club couldn't, especially, especially Warriors fans. Like, they're the ones I've, I've seen the most of. I've seen a fair bit of it from every single team, I think, except Tigers fans, which I'm not too surprised. Um, <laughs> especially Warriors fans. They really fucked up. Which is really ironic, given a week ago, we beat them 42 to 12 in the finals. Like, they were celebrating another team doing their dirty work. It's just so funny to me. How how are you gonna how are you gonna criticize from outside the club? You won't even get it. Yeah. Seriously. I think I'm just gonna be devil's advocate here because everyone wanted Brisbane to win. Everyone wanted them. And hang on a minute, I've just got something. Time out on Lol Cowden. This is very important for Rooster's point of view. Rugby Australia have pulled out of negotiations with Angus Crichton. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to tweak, tweak that right now on the uh, on the theme. Uh, Just say the Raw wow. is reporting. The, the Raw has revealed Rugby Australia has pulled out of negotiations with the governing body disappointed about the games being played in the public eye, especially since it was his representatives that came to Rugby Australia. But very important, Rugby Australia have walked away from negotiations with Angus Crichton. Well, that throws your off-season plan to a bit of a loop. Maybe, maybe not. Because he's only got one year left on his contract anyway. What is We'll see how we go. I'm still happy with the way we can rework our cap and move the, um, what's it called, jigsaw pieces. But, yeah, yeah, I think it's very important to acknowledge that finding quickly that every fan base has log cows. Yeah, 100%, my friend. But on that note, that is where we leave it. So we had to end it in a bit of a fun way. (laughs) (laughs) But that's our reaction to it. And it's an interesting one. You you guys love the live reactions, so there's another one. Yeah, I read this week that um, 
uh, Angus went a bit cold on the Perth idea and was like, oh, maybe I don't want to go to Perth. But... Oh, he does want to go to Perth. Yeah, trust me. Uh, to be fair, Mark McGowan's not running the state anymore, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. <laughs> but on that note, we would like to say thank you to absolutely everyone. Now, we've got a couple of special episodes coming up. I'm going to do a Roosters debrief of a couple of awesome people. Reese is going to do something similar with the Broncos. And we'll might or may not recap the test matches. If not, we're definitely going to post some lengthy analysis on our Twitter uh, we've got a couple of ideas on how we're going to use the program during the off-season. Uh, we'll let you know if we proceed with any of them. But, mate, I want to say thank you to you too for putting up with me all year. The pleasure's all mine, AJ. Um, thank you for, you know, always having me as a guest. Thank you for letting me use this as a platform to, you know, analyse the games in a way that probably otherwise wouldn't be able to. We uh, ride the journey pleasure. together. We ride 100%. the journey together, mate. Uh, it does, mate. We're going to get this up tomorrow. Thank you so much for everyone's company and our patience, especially with the other episodes we've done, especially our interviews with Mossy Masoy and Ian Roberts, as well as our State of the Game with our wonderful friend from the UK, Mr. Johnny Lou. And we're going to be back to do it all again whenever we hear from you next. Thanks very much for your company. We'll see you soon. Uh, bye, guys. Take care.